Kia ora koutou and welcome to New Zealand Anesthesia, the podcast linking Aotearoa anaesthetists with what's going on across the motu and beyond. I'm Dr Morgan Edwards, the President of the New Zealand Society of Anaesthetists, and it is my pleasure to host the NZSA's podcast. Whether you're at work, in your office, on your commute or on your daily walk or run, thank you so much for joining us. We hope you find it an insightful and informative listen. Now there is no escaping the increasing presence of vaping here in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vape shops are everywhere and the subject is also never far from our media headlines. As we come to understand more of the associated health concerns and see the tight grip it has on many of our youth across the motu, there is mounting pressure for tighter restrictions around vaping. But as healthcare professionals, as doctors and especially as anaesthetists, what are the public health risks and what do we need to know about vaping to be able to provide the best care for our patients? Dr Trent Cutts is an anaesthetist from Taranaki who has an interest in understanding more about vaping, its implications for anaesthesia and more widely on health. He joins us today on the podcast to help answer some of these questions. Kia ora Trent, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, kia ora Morgan. Thanks very much for having me on. Now, I saw Trent speak about vaping at our recent Aotearoa Anesthesia ASM. Thank you so much. It was an outstanding presentation. Um, And actually, to be fair, I think it left many of us a little bit shocked to hear some of the statistics. Yeah, I think um, it's certainly a topic that's at the forefront of public consciousness at the moment. And there there was quite a lot of interest after after the talk. So, yeah, it's quite a major, it's become quite a major public health issue in New Zealand. It certainly has. Um, I think awareness does seem to be growing of the potential health threat of vaping since we originally sold it as um, you know, a, a cure-all for smoking sensation and the fact that we've got such a low regulation environment. How has vaping so quickly become a threat to public health? Yeah, e-cigarettes are they're a relatively new technology, so they were introduced to Western markets uh, in the late 2000s. But in New Zealand, we didn't really see them uh, see a large amount of use until the late 2000s and in New Zealand we didn't introduce any legislation to ban sales to under 18s until 2020 so that, that was pretty late in the piece mm. and so we've seen a rapid rise in use and I think it's probably in large part due to the way that we've decided to regulate vapes as you've mentioned mm. um, and how we've used them to achieve our smoke-free goals and so it's as I say it's really come to the fore of public consciousness over the last year or so in particular um, and I think people have just noticed the fairly extraordinary numbers of dedicated vaping stores and, and dairies selling vapes in our communities. And they may have children or they've heard people say how their, their children or have, have, um, have taken up vaping and they've become understandably concerned. And so I think when it comes to vaping, there really is a balance to be struck. So we have to make them available for those who wish to use them to quit smoking, but then um, we have to be sure or make attempts to make sure that non-smokers can't easily take up the habit. And in mm. my humble opinion, I think that we've probably not quite got that balance right at the moment. Mm. But in my talk at the ASM, I sort of identified that Aotearoa has been quite an outlier in terms of how it's regulated vaping. So if we compare ourselves to Australia, we've taken quite a considerably more liberal approach. We've, we've sort of fully, inva- fully embraced vaping as a smoking cessation tool. Whereas in Australia, vaping is by prescription only. Um, And I guess one of the unintended but not unexpected consequences of our approach has then been the emergence of a youth vaping epidemic and and high rates of vaping. 
I think that's the right phrase though, right? There's a growing youth vaping epidemic. Um, am I correct in thinking that it's about one in three? Yeah, so we, we really only have survey data. Um, there was an Asthma and Respiratory Foundation survey that came out, I believe, this year, and it, it said that about 20% of uh, mm-hmm. high school students were vaping at least daily. Um, and obviously that has all the limitations of, of a survey, but um, that gives us an indication. And I think certainly anecdotally, when you talk to teachers or uh, people are, are around children, they would certainly believe that. Mm. So more like one in four regular daily vapors. And that um, is quite astounding, really quite frightening. Mm. That's probably what's brought it to our attention, right? You driving past high schools and seeing just groups of rangatahi in uniform vaping standing around Um, and it's certainly a different picture to what we had 10 years ago with cigarettes or even more recently. Mm. When we specifically look at the youth what are the risks to their health that we're concerned about? As I said we really didn't introduce legislation to stop sales to under 18s until 2020 so we're we're playing catch up to a degree and I think when you look at uh, where high school students or even intermediate students are getting their vapes. We look at that survey that I mentioned before, um, a large proportion of them are getting them at uh, dairies and they're using high nicotine content e-liquids as well. And the e-liquid or the nicotine content of the e-liquid is higher than that is available in the UK. So Mm. uh, in the UK, there's a maximum of 20 milligrams per mil. We've only just started introducing legislation to reduce the nicotine, uh, maximum nicotine concentration. So um, I think the concern for the impact of vaping on, on dangatahi is two-pronged. So we continue to see quite a large proportion of our non-smoking youth expose themselves to the vaporized chemical concoctions that are in e-liquids. Um, and we really don't know the long-term effects. It's, it's still mm. poorly understood, but it, but it certainly can't be good. And the other concern is the exposure of rangatahi to nicotine. So we know that nicotine is harmful to adolescent brain development. And several systematic reviews have identified there's an increased risk of subsequent smoking and the use of other drugs with nicotine vapes. So, yeah, there's a lot of concern around the youth vaping epidemic in New Zealand. It's a bit of a hard thing to hear um, that there's a concern about brain development in rangatahi with the amount that are vaping um, and getting that nicotine exposure. Yeah. And I think part of the problem here is also around like the wide availability of different flavours um, and the fact that it's being presented in smaller and cuter or cooler packaging and it's not really yeah. um, associated with the unattractiveness of smoking cigarettes it's, and it's kind of viewed as being this safe, cool, tasty thing to do, isn't it? That's right, yeah. And I mean, th- there is going to be some measures put in place to try and reduce the attractiveness of, um, of different vaping, vaping flavours and the like, but I mean, I, I had a photo in my presentation of um, uh, my son and I getting a, an ice cream at a dairy, and there was a there was one of the vape stores within the dairy, and he was he was much more interested in <laughs> in the vapes than than the ice cream, you know. I mean, that, yeah. And just yesterday, I was I was sitting outside that dairy having it having an ice cream with with my son. He's, he's two years old. And I saw a couple of high school students come in and, and buy a vape. So, although there's there's regulation, um, we're still seeing a large number of our our youth obtaining vapes that way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just to peg it all back, that original belief that we had, is vaping less harmful than cigarette smoking? Yeah, so one, one of the key questions, and 
we can safely say that vaping is much less harmful than traditional cigarettes. So the detrimental constituents of cigarette smoke are either absent or they're present in much lower uh, concentrations in e-cigarette vapour. But in saying that, given the absence of long-term safety data for e-cigarettes um, and the still uncertain efficacy of vaping for smoking cessation, we, we have mm. to be fairly cautious with our recommendations and conclusions. Mm. And you may have heard, or it's been quite widely circulated, the message that e-cigarettes are at least 95% less harmful than cigarettes. And and that comes from public a Public Health England report in 2016. And yeah. I spoke about this in my talk where there was quite significant criticism of the methods used to justify that statement. And one of the criticisms was the tenuous evidence base on which those conclusions were based. Yeah. So we can quite safely say that vaping is much less harmful than traditional cigarettes, but we just have to be cautious in the way that we um, yeah, recommend the use. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So apart from that Public Health England report, is there any clinical evidence to support it as an effective way to quit smoking? Yeah, so another really important, probably the second most important question. So current guidelines suggest that it's use as a second line method for smoking cessation behind traditional NRT. So the Australian GP college has guidance where they suggest it as second line. And part of the reason for that is that we don't know the long-term safety um, of uh, e-cigarettes. Um, and there's also some questions about the evidence for, for its efficacy. So um, our best evidence of, is from a Cochrane review, which is regularly updated. And the current iteration from last year concluded that there's high certainty evidence that vapes with nicotine increase quit rates compared to traditional NRT. And so just putting it into perspective, if 100 people were using e-cigarettes to stop smoking, then 8 to 12 might successfully stop using nicotine e-cigarettes. About 6 would stop using NRT, traditional NRT, and 4 would stop with behavioural support or no support alone. So there's a couple of, couple of caveats there that the longest follow-up of the studies was two years. So that goes towards that conclusion that we can't really say what the long-term harm of vaping is. And there's also a concern that people who use nicotine cigarettes are switching from one form of nicotine to another. So one of the large RCTs in that systematic review was one that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine, where 80% of participants were still using their vape yes. at the end of the study period at a year, compared to 9% using NRT. So yeah, I guess just an important note as well, for anaesthetists, the current consensus is that e-cigarettes shouldn't be used in the perioperative period, because we don't really understand the yeah. impact of, of um, vaping on the perioperative uh, period. Yes, and that's, I think, one of the things to come round into anaesthesia and perioperative care. Um, when, you know, looking at how ANSCA has recently updated their perioperative smoking professional document um, to talk about vaping for the first time, which is great, um, and I, I love a good college document to be able to refer to and so they've got out PGO7 and that says you know to come to your point that there's insufficient evidence to recommend e-cigarettes as sensation aids um, prior to surgery yes um, and I think that that's a really nice clear statement to hang your hat on in terms of in the perioperative period yes 
So that, that's where the, the evidence sits at the moment. So there's obviously a lot of unanswered questions around the impact of vaping on perioperative respiratory adverse events or um, post-operative pulmonary complications, um, major adverse cardiac events. But there's also our surgical colleagues are, are concerned about the impact of vaping on mm. surgical wound healing and surgical side mm-hmm. infection. So there's a lot of unanswered questions, and there's certainly a large body of evidence to, to suggest the safety of traditional NRT in smoking cessation. So mm. at present, there's no guidance to suggest switching or using e-cigarettes to stop smoking. And so that all comes back down to nicotine, doesn't it? As you know, as well as the additional um, unknowns um, about the other constituents of e-cigarettes. But when you just look at the health risks of nicotine, um, what are we looking at there in the perioperative period? Yeah, so nicotine, so it's present in, in one of two forms in e-cigarettes. So it's either free-based nicotine or nicotine salt. And nicotine salt is a newer Version. It's a bit more palatable. It has less throat hit. Um, but either way, nicotine is responsible for, for a lot of the hemodynamic impact of uh, vapes. And that's given its sympathomimetic activity. So there's an increase in blood pressure and, and heart rate with nicotine use. There's a shift in the myocardial demand supply relationship. And then there's an increase mm-hmm. in risk of arrhythmia. So that, that's probably the biggest contributor of nicotine in the perioperative period. I guess in, in mm-hmm. terms of vapes more widely, it, it's important to look at the the impact of just vapour from e-cigarettes on, on health. So yeah. in terms of respiratory health, we know that um, vaping causes an increase in airway resistance and friability. And so it's likely to increase airway reactivity, much like smoking. And there's a drop in innate immunity and response to infection and we know that there's a reduction in ciliary activity so that may account for that there's an elevation in uh, inflammatory cytokines and proteolysis and there's some animal models that have shown a progression to uh, chronic obstructive lung disease Um, Mm -hmm. and there's an increase in oxidative stress and then one of the important things with the breakdown products of e-liquids is that propylene glycol and glycerol break down under heat to form aldehydes. And we know that the aldehydes from aldehyde and acetylaldehyde are, are carcinogenic. So, you know, yeah. there's the respiratory impact of, of vapes and then the cardiovascular impact. So we know that vaping's pro-inflammatory. It increases oxidative stress. Yes. And all that provides conditions that may lead to cardiovascular disease. So although, like I've said, vapes are likely much less harmful than, than cigarette smokes, they're certainly not benign. And it's important for anaesthetists when they encounter patients that have that use vapes to one inquire about how how much they vape, what sort of nicotine content they use, and then inquire about cardiorespiratory function um, because of what we know about the impact. And then to that point, I was reading a patient. Um a clinic letter ahead of surgery the other day and I was reading some different descriptors in terms of the amount um, that people vape and it wasn't something that was familiar to me. How do we quantify the amount that somebody vapes? Are we doing it in volume um, and the amount of nicotine? It's really tricky. I may have been reading the same article that, that you were. <laughs> um, it's, it's tricky, hey, because cigarettes, they're, they're pretty stock standard and you can quantify cigarette use based on the number of cigarettes used it gets a little bit more tricky when people roll their own i don't quite know how Mm. to how that how to quantify that in terms of pack years but with vapes it's so variable it depends on what device they're using what form of nicotine Mm. how much nicotine how often they vape how the method they use so the research would suggest that someone that um has been vaping for a while can reach similar nicotine concentration as someone that smokes cigarettes but i guess the way that you ask people 
about their vaping use is is just that. So asking what device they use, the nicotine concentration, how often they're using it. And then we can look at things like nicotine uh, dependence, because if someone is obviously nicotine dependent, that would then mean that we may need to introduce nicotine replacement therapy in the perioperative period. So it's a really tricky one. And as time goes on, we may have a better method of quantifying vaping. Yeah. And then the nicotine dependence, we're just looking at behavioural patterns, symptoms, withdrawal symptoms. Yeah. So there's a number of scoring systems, but uh, yeah, none of which have really come to the fore yet. Mm -hmm. It's really giving similar vibes to those very cringe ads from the 1950s or 60s or whatever era of doctors recommending cigarettes to treat throats or whatever it was that you look back now and think, how how are we so ill-informed? Um, and it, it's not hard to see some parallels there. It is, yeah. When I think about the overall message for anaesthetists when approaching our patients who are vaping or when looking at this whole area, because it does still feel quite new, what do you think we should know or what we should be watching for in emerging research relating to vaping and caring for our patients? Apart from the the long-term effects of vaping on health, which we may not have a clear understanding of for another perhaps couple of decades. The impact of vaping on the perioperative period when it comes to, like I say, post-operative pulmonary complications or perioperative respiratory adverse events. Um, We know that secondhand vapor can also impact respiratory health. So, you know, we know that children exposed to secondhand smoke have an increased risk of perioperative respiratory adverse events. So there's lots of things still to be looked at. But I I think Associate Professor Ashley Webb um, and myself put together a couple of um, key takeaways in an editorial we did for uh, the bulletin in the last Mm -hmm. issue. And I guess the key key thoughts there were uh, that we should should be asking patients about smoking and vaping and then Mm -hmm. further questioning them about cardiorespiratory function for those that do. And then to ask about the nature of their vaping use. And there, there still isn't, like we said, a, a clear way of doing that. That um, just knowing that traditional nicotine replacement therapy is still the first line for smoking cessation, because we know that it's got a clear evidence base for use. And there's insufficient evidence to switch uh, smokers to vaping in the perioperative period. Mm-hmm. Um, but we do know that those who do vape should abstain for as long as possible before their surgery. And just acknowledging that we know that although vaping is is much less harmful than smoking, that for non-smokers, that vaping is not benign. It's likely to lead to adverse respiratory and cardiovascular effects in particular. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for all of that information. It's certainly quite sobering. And you mentioned that you've got a two-year-old. I've also got small children. And when looking at this landscape, I have a particularly keen eye. Um, thinking to their future, certainly circling back to some of the points at the beginning um, around some of the effects on Nangatahi. Yeah. So thank you for your time and speaking to us, but also thank you so much for your mahi in this space for the anaesthesia community in general. And I know that you've contributed to, um, to a lot of the information that we have from the college, but also from you know the BJA article and obviously your fantastic talk at the ASM. It's an incredibly difficult topic to wrap your head around in a really easy way. Um, So I really appreciate your time. Thank you very much, Morgan. Um, Much appreciated for having me on. Cheers. Now, as this will be our final podcast before the year, before I go, I've got a quick update for members to let you know what will be coming up in 2024 with the NZSA. 
To help me do this, I've got NZSA's CEO, Kylie McQuellen. Kia ora, Kylie. Kia ora, Morgan. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Wow, so 2024. Hard to believe we're here already and what a year it has been. These last couple of months have been really interesting to watch as our new government has been formed and from an advocacy point of view, one of our first items on the agenda will be engaging with our new Minister of Health, Dr Shane Ditti. Yes, absolutely. Uh, NZSA met with the previous minister in April this year and connecting with Dr Ritti will be front of mind as we head into 2024. Yes. And while the health reforms continue to develop, our advocacy work next year will continue to have a key focus on anaesthesia representation too. Given our specialty's involvement in the many facets of the perioperative journey, it's really important that we continue to seek a seat for the table for areas that affect anaesthetists here in Aotearoa. Mm, Yes. Most recently, our efforts have focused on communicating with the Minister about the government's plans to repeal the smoke-free legislation. Uh, and also forming our submission for the Royal Commission into COVID-19, the lessons learned. Uh, We really appreciate the input and time from members who have spoken to us over Zoom and filled in our recent survey about their experiences during the pandemic. This goes a long way in helping us to shape our submission whilst we await an update on the inquiry and the public feedback process in the new year. Uh, I've also been fortunate to hear directly from members through the networks and committee meetings about the issues that interest them and how NZSA can provide support. I'm very grateful to those who have welcomed me in attending these meetings over the last couple of months. Yes, and I know that the networks have got some really big goals for 2024. And then I think about 2024 and what a really big year it's going to be for our international community too. We've got the meeting in Singapore for the World Congress. I know that there are a number of anaesthetists heading over from Aotearoa, including myself. What an exciting opportunity that's going to be to connect with our community on such a global scale. And then also, I wonder about tangible benefits for our members. We've got some really exciting projects going on in the background, and I would really love for you to tell us some more about these. Uh, Sure. Uh, One that has been going on is the Patient Education Resources Initiative. Um, We're looking to develop digital-based information that can be provided to patients and their whanau ahead of procedures requiring an anaesthetic. The intention with these is to offer generic and reliable information suited to patients here in Aotearoa. Uh, And we're also looking to enhance our Te Ao Māori resources to assist members wanting to develop their understanding and bring more of this into their practice. Cool. Yes, and I imagine for some just having something to help guide the development and grow their cultural competency would be really helpful. Mm, Absolutely. Now, a big one that I'm looking forward to is the Patient Experience Survey platform. How is this coming along? Uh, It's going well. So development work is largely complete and we'll be doing some robust testing of the platform with uh, some members and their patients um, before we launch it to the wider membership early next year. Uh, The idea is that this will be free for members to help you collect the patient surveys required for your CPD. And each member will be able to send out a PEDS or an adult anaesthesia survey as and when needed. The surveys are pre-built following ANSCA's examples. So all you need to do is load your patient contact email to send them out. Excellent. Um, and how will it work for members? So it'll be accessible through your member login to the NZSA website and you'll be able to send it to patients via an automated email. 
Then once 15 patients have completed your survey, it will aggregate the results, keeping these anonymous, and you'll be able to download them to share with your feedback provider and complete or complete your CPD activity. That's really exciting. And then finally, we will also have the many events that the Society supports across the year, including Aqua in August and save the date for the Aotearoa NZ Anesthesia ASM 2024 from the 6th to the 9th of November. My colleagues here at Waitemata are hosting it next year here in Tamaki Makoto. And if our international speakers are anything to go by, it will be an excellent event. Well, thank you very much, Kylie. It will be another busy year for sure, but plenty to look forward to. It's certainly shaping up that way. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Of course. And the podcast will be back in 2024 too. I have some very special guests lined up and look forward to introducing them to the show. But until then, I wish you a Merry Christmas and Happy Holidays. I hope that you find some time to unwind and connect with Fano over the holiday season. And to those of you who will be working in theatre over the break, thank you so much. This is important mahi you are providing for our patients and the healthcare community. Matewa, see you all soon.